Happy New Year, everybody. You've got all of us back here at No Driving Gloves. I think we've all recovered from holiday travels and adventures, and uh, it's a little bit cold this evening. We're talking to you in the midst of this cold front that's going across the country. I've actually retreated inside from my outdoor shop studio and broadcasting from inside my heated home, so my audio quality might change a little bit this episode. How'd your holidays go? Well, mine were okay. Um, You know, I I wound up with a uh, horrible cold, which I'm getting over, so my voice is going to sound uh, probably very strained this evening, and uh, probably halfway through I'll lose it, and you guys will be glad that I can't talk anymore. Let's quit boring everybody with some of our mindless, trivial banter and kind of jump into the the show topic. And we're going to, since it's New Year's, we're going to do what everybody else does and kind of look forward to 2018. But we're also going to look back a little bit into 2017. I came across and I, I like reviewing these articles just to make us feel better that we're a little bit ahead of some of the, the known journalists out there. You guys need to start listening to the podcast and spreading the word so that you, you, you can be ahead of the curve. And there was an article written by Kurt Ernst for Hemmings on December 27th. You can, re, you can check it on the Hemmings.com. Five car hobby predictions for 2018. Funny thing is, is he must have been listening to the show because... I think uh, four of his five we've already discussed within the last two or three months. What do you guys feel about his first one here? We've reached peak barn find, and he goes to say the trend isn't happening as fast as we like, but it's kind of going away. Fewer and fewer cars are covered in in period correct filth, etc. It's just, uh, I think the term's dying off. And did we not cover that in our barn find episode? What seven or eight episodes ago? I would say that we did. Yeah, I mean, I think we all agreed that the barn find is getting kind of old, um, pun intended, maybe. But you know, I, I think the the, and I think we touched on it in the barn find episode. I mean, I think the the added value of a barn find is going to go away but i'm still a strong believer that there are there are still barn finds out there and i think it plays into um probably some of the other discussions we're going to have tonight about this article which is we have to remember that the cars of the 1980s and 90s that we've talked about becoming the next generation of classic and collectible car there's a bunch of those stuck in barns all over and people are going to start calling those the barn find cars for the next generation, in my opinion. So I don't necessarily know that the barn find itself is over. I think people are always going to strive to have the barn find. I just don't know that the value is going to stay in a barn find car. Yeah, I I agree with that. I mean, they're not going to just poof, disappear. Like you said, each year, you know, where it used to be, 72 and older were only considered barn finds. Now it's later model stuff, square body Chevy trucks. And, and another thing too is, you know, we, you know, people die. And the guy that was attached to this car that was in the barn that would never, ever, ever, ever sell it. Well, he's gone. Well, now guess what? 
they call a buddy and then they call a buddy and they call a buddy. They come look at it and buy it. And there's another barn find, you know? Um, I mean, people that were, you know, collected cars and, and knew what stuff was that are older gentlemen. Now they're, you know, they're passing away. And, um, so that stuff's always going to pop up in, in random places. And, uh, there's always going to be cars out there that you find stashed away somewhere. You know, it's, it won't ever go away. Now I look at it, I'm going to say I don't quite a hundred percent agree, but I look at the term barn find slowly losing its popularity and another term will creep in oh, yeah. and then we'll see, we'll see barn find come back in, in a new, new light, maybe more of what, as I discussed in the previous episode, true cars that were forgotten and then just discovered and discovered in the barns. And yes, the value, the value attached to a barn find will go away. Uh, the dirt and patina, I think will go away. Pe- you know, people will get tired of trying to preserve the dirt, the way the cars found, you know, the tr- the collectors want to have a nice clean car when it's done. Even if it's not restored, they do want to wash it and get that dust and grime off of it. But as Will alluded to, and I think even Derek said there that uh, it's jumping down a little bit in uh, this article, but long ignored cars will gain an appeal among a new generation of collectors. And we really discussed this in the Radwood episode one or two, I guess two episodes ago for us and how that shows making 80s and 90s cars interesting and popular. And ever since that episode, a little bit prior to it, and watching the you know Radwood Facebook groups and the, the chatter about it, and I actually have a meeting in a, a day or two with the Radwood organizers, that there are a lot of people that are into these cars. And, you know, there's Facebook groups, Radwood, Obscure Cars, et cetera, that are posting, I think rampages have been really big the last couple of days. And again, 80s Chrysler fetish and that sticks out, but I've seen two or three rampages on Radwood. I've seen a couple of them on obscure cars. Barn find had a rampage, which was modified in a way I've never seen before, where it was also a convertible rampage, which just has to do wonders to that unibody (laughs) and chassis flex. I'm assuming it probably goes a little bit generally and the doors don't open, but these, these things and as the generations, you know, I wouldn't say my generation starts coming into a little bit of money and a little bit of disposable income and the children start moving out and the empty nesters start forming. I think you're going to start seeing the stuff from the, I'm going to say the EPA emission cars, the 74 and later stuff is going to start being collectible and people are going to start buying them. You see 77 Aspens being bought up, Aspen SEs, uh, 80 Monte Carlos, things like that. They, they've kind of been popular, but I think you're going to start seeing stuff like that gain a lot of traction. And then some of the more obscure stuff will come into play. And I think much like the motorcycle hobby really exploded a couple of years ago with the Japanese bikes that came into play in the 60s, we're going to see the Japanese cars take on a whole new realm in car collecting uh, in the next, not necessarily 2018, but within the next five years, I think you're going to start seeing big movement in those. And I've started to see a lot of 70s Celicas show up. 
a lot of early preludes, early accords. And like I said, the generation's right, the income's right, the child children leaving home and getting their own lives and moving out. If if you're on one of these cars, I'm going to say it's probably time to hold. And if you're in the mood to buy, you need to buy because as we alluded in the Radwood episode, if you want a Beretta GT, buy it now because good ones are going to be expensive in uh, come 2022, 23. I, I agree. I mean, if, if you've got the money sitting there to start stockpiling some of these, you know, popular cars from those year models, man, start, start stacking them up because it's going to take a while for the aftermarket to support this. They're not just going to all of a sudden, bam, have, you know, have a, a dash cluster for a Beretta GT, you know? Um, so if, if you've got a place to keep them and stash them, stash them out and, you know, eBay the parts out and stuff like that. I mean, I, you know, I think, uh, I think some money could be made if you go ahead and snatch them up while they're, you know, not, not crazy priced. Yeah. And I got to agree as well, because I mean, it's, you, as we've talked about in prior shows, it's the way you see this hobby and this, you know, industry go, which is always, you know, the next generation is collecting from their youth, so on and so forth. And, you know, it's really the only direction for this to go. And I agree with Will. I've always had the idea that if I was a much wealthier person, I'd love to go out and buy some of the, especially 80s and 90s era, uh, late 80s, early 90s, even mid 80s and early 80s um, cars, and really just disassemble them and primarily you know store all the the metal parts away but the biggest thing would be for me to store all of the plastic components in cold storage um, so they don't degrade as quickly as those that are out in the uv in the fluctuating temperatures so that in 20 or 30 years when they're extremely collectible you have basically OEM parts that are almost pristine that you can then sell to the next generation. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we've we all agreed in the past that this is exactly what's going to be happening. Well, skipping on down um, Chuck's list, he, he kind of mentions uh, reaching a peak in garage television, which he's not focusing on necessarily real, reality TV, but he is focusing on reality TV, referring to the reality rebuilds and stuff like that. There are a lot of car shows. I don't have time to watch them all and then actually live my life. And I think that that's what we're going to find is the good quality shows are going to remain. And we're going to, I think what it's going to end up happening is we're going to end up with a better quality car show over the next year or two years at the most. I think it, it, there there will be a lot of true content to the builds, a lot more reality in the reality, in that time frames might be more realistic, the work involved might be more realistic, the cost involved might be more realistic, 
the fluff and banter might might not exist. And I think a lot of that might be brought about uh, because of YouTube. I uh, had the conversation today in referring to the H or Home and Garden Television and DIY that I used to watch a lot of those home improvement shows. Again, woodworking is a hobby for me because that's all that was available. But the more I've gotten into YouTube and watching woodworking videos and making videos and car videos on YouTube, the less I watch real TV because I want quality content. I want it without the commercials. And I want it at my convenience. And I think we'll see a change in garage television and reality TV as that happens. Um, and you know, we refer to Scotty D all the time here. He has a quality show discussing cars. I was just talking to a friend today who is spending a lot of her retirement money going to car shows with her husband. And she said, I need to figure out how to make this into money. I said, you just need to start a YouTube channel because she knows what she's doing and they have a wide collection of cars. So I think, I think as, as time goes on, maybe our predictions are a little bit more, or my predictions are a little bit more than just 2018, but I would think you're going to start seeing that change. And I think you're going to start seeing it in a bigger way as people start producing um, their own videos and getting away from this network television model. I really, really, really hope this is true and actually happens because as we've talked about in our reality tv episode you know where we touched on it um you know the reality tv just it, it's not reality for the car world um and and we get that you know time frames are uh tight when you're filming you know we get that right now for some reason the american public wants to see people fight and yell at each other but I think, as John has mentioned, for a lot of us out there that really have stopped watching these garage reality shows, it's because we know it's not the reality. It's not what really happens, and it's not what we want to see. What we want to see are the shows that talk about and actually teach people who are interested in the hobby and want to get involved how to do some of this work and, and what it takes to be involved in this. And, you know, if you want to restore a, a classic car or an antique car at your house, in your garage, that there's going to be some at least reasonable, you know, methodology taught on how to do this work. It, it's never going to be a hundred percent able to teach it perfectly because you're not there one-on-one -on -one getting hands-on experience, but it will at least give you the rudimentary basics of how to do some of this work and what to look for and those those things that are truly, as John says, the reality part of the hobby and the work that we all do. Um, so I really, really hope that this prediction is true. And like John, you said, that it continues on into years to come. I, I mean, I agree with it, too. I mean... We were, we were, Big Oak Garage was pretty close to having a network TV show in 2017. Don't really know exactly why it didn't happen. I know that it was presented to Discovery and it didn't move forward after that. So, but man, 
at, at SEMA this year, just about everybody you talked to that had a pretty decent shop either was getting a TV show or had went through the same thing that I went through. And with Discovery Channel buying out uh, 10, there's just they're just going to keep pumping it and pumping it and pumping it and pumping it till, you know, I think it's going to happen like this whole motorcycle thing did, you know, what, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, where every time you turned on the television, it was a show about motorcycles. Well, then it just crashed. I mean, there was, you can't hardly find a motorcycle show on television anymore. Um, so I think we're getting ready to see a lot more every, you know, Tom, Dick and Harry getting a show about their shop and what they do and how they do it. And then, you know, a couple of years from now, it's going to be, you know, crickets chirping about cars on TV and the quality stuff is going to be on, on YouTube. You know, you mentioned Scotty D and that's something Scotty's been telling me for years. He's like, dude, this is where it's going. I'm telling you, this is where it's going. It's it's people aren't going to have cable TV anymore. They're going to watch YouTube and they're going to watch Netflix. And, you know, it's going to Internet based television at your house. Well, I mean. Perfect example, Scotty D films everything in 4K. All right. You know, you can watch. You know, there's not many things being filmed that come on TV in 4K. So, I mean, right there, they're already a step ahead of most of your networks anyway. You know, I wasn't a, a real big believer in clarity of television and stuff like that until I really got me a good television set and watched some of Scotty's videos in 4K. And, man, it's 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 pretty crazy. It's a big difference. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, my prediction on that is you're going to see 2018, 2019, you're going to see car shows on TV till you're blue in the face. They're going to force it down your throat. And then I think it's just going to crash and burn just like the motorcycle thing did. And, you know, people are just going to be tired of seeing it and they're going to, follow the people on YouTube that they like and watch their shows, maybe even see a show pop up on, you know, Netflix or Hulu or Roku or what all, whatever all those, you know, internet TV station type things are. And uh, that that's, that's, that's where I think it's going. I think you'll see the development of those uh, independent TV networks when it comes to like Roco and things like that through the websites. And just to fill you in on the 4K filming, there's there's a motive or there's a reason Scotty D's doing that, I bet. And if you're filming anything and you want to have a chance to have it on Netflix or Amazon Prime, and Amazon Prime's actually buying, it seems, people will independently film little projects and Amazon Prime will buy them and then broadcast them or work you work out a, a broadcasting thing. But Netflix and Amazon Prime will not accept anything filmed in less than 4K. And I would I would almost expect that that standard to bump up as we start getting into the new um, UHD um, 
what is it DLP or H, uh, HDR the um, OLED HDR televisions they're going to start wanting requirements for that and quality and that's what helps Netflix and Amazon over the satellite TV providers and the cable because they can provide you that good picture and there's nothing wrong with it, but th- there is an ulterior motive. I'm sure why, why Scotty's filming that way other than just the picture quality is so much better. There's a, there's a little bit of marketing aspect to that in insider tip. I learned from a television show that I was involved in. Yeah. And I got to agree with, uh, you know, John, that was a lot of what I was going to say is just that, you know, the technology that's coming up with this is is going to be pushing some of this out. But also from the, the aspect that Will was talking about, too, is all of the social media that's out there. And, you know, not only your your Facebooks and, you know, all the different social media that way, but the YouTubes, all the different things where people are interacting you know, that's where people can have their own opinions on what they want to see and what they want to experience and, and what they themselves want to put out there. And so that is, I, I, I agree strongly with Will and John both here, that those are the places that you're going to see take off and actually start to see the changes that people want to see away from network television and, and all that. I mean, I might have just beat a dead horse, but... That's what I was going to say. So another thing Chuck discusses here and goes all the way back to our first or second episode, electric cars will become more commonplace, which is a gimme, except he's saying that they're going to become more commonplace and include classic cars with electrified drivetrains. And if you haven't checked the uh, Barrett Jackson catalogs coming up, they have, I can't remember what company did the conversion uh, really popular. I've seen a lot of their stuff. They've done 356s and and uh, Volkswagens, etc. But they've got a Ferrari 308 that's been converted to electric. It was an engine fire car, so it was kind of damaged, and it's a 308. But I, I do agree that we're going to start seeing a lot more electric cars uh, from the manufacturers, a lot more little startups popping up with the electric cars. And I think you're going to start seeing custom shops popping out these electric cars. Uh, and I just say, I even just read an article today about the uh, ungodly long name car, the Porsche Panamera Turbo S hybrid, whatever, whatever the, the kind of station wagon version one. I can't remember what it's all called. They said even the guy doing the press release studied for about a day so that he got the name right. But, you know, of course, the car's $215,000 is tested, base price 190000 and that's house money for a guy like me. It's, it's kind of the mainstream. It, it's the Porsche to buy. It's one of the fastest Porsches out there, 0 to 60, 3.2 seconds when you're in hybrid and gasoline mode combined. You know, the 918 Spider wasn't that much faster the 911 Turbo S's aren't that much faster. And this is a four-door sedan with, you know, electric motors. I just think the performance aspect will really start sucking in the guys building street rods and hot rods. You'll see it start creeping its way into some drag, drag categories. 
and then of course for the fuel mileage on the road uh as more and more things and California laws change uh there I can't remember what the new traffic laws they have out there but also plays to hybrid vehicles still or electric vehicles so I think this one's an, a no-brainer and I I kind of like the idea of resto modding cars with the electrified drivetrains uh just just for something different and then the complete tunability of the performance aspect I don't <laughs> Dirk's like no no I don't <laughs> I'm so I'm so mad I don't even want to talk about it <laughs> no I I this is this is obviously a multi-pronged topic here pun intended with the electric situation and prongs uh and yes, we're going to see, obviously, no-brainer, we're going to see more and more hybrids, more and more electrics coming out of the auto industry. We talked about it on one of our episodes, the big press release out of GM, um, you know, that by, I think it was 2022, 2023, that they were going to have X number, X percent of their line of automobiles was going to be all electric we see it every day new electric vehicles coming out new hybrids coming out i get it that's where things are going i i can see it in maybe a unique hot rod something like that but i have a hard time and and i think you guys both know i'm probably more of the purist on this show than than either of you i just cannot see taking a good solid classic or antique car pulling a motor out of it pull, pulling the engine out of it because we're talking about electric cars here we got to get our terminology exactly correct but pulling an internal combustion engine out of it the original drive line and swapping it over to an electric motor drive line uh it's not for me i can tell you that i guess if it's it, it maybe it goes back to the discussion we had on modern vehicles or not no it wasn't modern vehicles it was our discussion that we had on the the worst collector cars or you know collector cars that never will make you know any value and they were talking about basically not buying the you know iron duke camaros and firebirds and basically I said, good, drop them off in my yard and I'll hold on to them until they are, they are going to be valuable. I guess maybe that it goes to that again. Okay. Everybody else go ahead and, and customize your cars, resto mod them over to electrics. I'll keep the original power plants and have a more rare car, uh, in the future than the ones that have been resto modded. But it's just one man's opinion. And it's not for me. I, I, I see it as a disservice to the history of the automobile to go in and resto mod it to an electric car. There's parts of it I like. There's parts of it I don't like. I like building traditional hot rods. Well, you're not going to build a traditional hot rod with a uh, electric motor. But I do like building a muscle car in more of a modern fashion as well. Um, I think to, to me, uh, 
a thirties era car is, is should not have an electric motor in it. Um, they should be built in a traditional type fashion. Um, but if you're building a car, say like the green dark that we built that had a lot of modern amenities, uh, that's what the customer wanted. Uh, he wanted his, his, his older car to feel like a newer sports luxury car. Then yeah, you know, I, I would not mind taking something unique and, and, and making it electric or hybrid. I think it, it will, um, start making an impact in, uh, in the hot rod industry. Um, the custom car industry, you know, I, I, there's things I like about it. There's things I don't like about it. I'm not saying I'm, I won't ever do it. I, I would, I wouldn't mind doing it in the right project, but it would, it would just have to be the right project across the board. So. But here, here's my question for you, Will, which is, do you think, and this is honestly a question that I'm I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on because I'm really starting to wonder are people that want sports cars or hot rods or any of those type of cars where you're you're customizing it are those type of people the people that want an electric powered vehicle and and I get like the you know, we've got the Tesla Roadster out there. They're extremely fast off the line. They can they can reach high speeds. But a lot of these people that are are people that like to go out to the track and run their cars, or uh, you know, in the hot rod world, there's a lot of guys that one of their big dreams is the Hot Rod Power Tour or one of the big you know Drive Across America tours. How many of these? Men and women, I, I keep using the term guys. I, I look at car guys as either gender. But how many men or women that are are into this are going to want a vehicle that it might go fast, it might take off off of the line quickly and be able to beat someone in a drag race, but they can't take it on a long tour with internal combustion engine vehicles because they have to stop every 200 miles if they're really getting on it and you know they may have a range of 300 max if these tours have longer trip days than that i I mean that's that's my big question with this move to electric is there's going to be a certain amount of people out there that like to drive long distance on some of these events and do these things and even a track day i mean if you're really hammering on a track day and you've got an electric sports car, how long is that charge going to last? And is that really something people are going to want? The guy that you're going to build that car for is going to have a car he can go do that with as well. That guy is 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 probably one that's going to keep up with the hot rod and custom car industry pretty well. He, he'll want to be one of the first out there with that type of car, you know. Um, I mean, the, I'll be honest with you. Most of our customers have a lot more than one high dollar car. You know, um, generally they have a couple that they do drive regular on a regular basis. 
And then they have the higher end cars that they like going and, and showing and talking about. And, and, and it's a conversation piece. So, you know, doing it because you want to go do the power tour or go to drag week or something like that. I don't see them doing it for that. I see them doing it more for the kind of the, the conversation side of things. Um, you know, you raise the hood and there's nothing there and people are, you know, it just draws the, the conversation of, well, you know, what is this? Um, so I, I see it more on that side of things than anything. Um, just being the, being the first to do it or being, I'm sure it's probably already been done or, um, but I, you know, I have not, I haven't seen a car in Detroit or, um, you know, the Detroit Autorama or, you know, a bigger competing for some of the bigger, you know, awards in, in the industry, hot rod industry with an, a, you know, an electric power train. Um, so I'm sure there's probably somebody out there already building towards that. Um, but I, you know, I'd see it more on that side than really getting out and driving them a lot. Um, so that's just my side of it. Um, because honestly, most of the cars that we build, they don't get driven a whole lot. You know, they're um, they're showpieces is, is really what they are. Yes, they do get driven, um, but most of them don't get driven on, you know, long tours and stuff like that. Now, the the higher end cars, you know, we've, we have built a lot of cars that have done the power tour and the uh, uh, good guys road tours and stuff like that. Um, but they're not, you know, they're not going to go compete for a Riddler or a street machine of the year or, you know, hot rod of the year, stuff like that. Um, so, you know, th that, that guy that you're going to build that car for is going to have multiple cars and, uh, some that he gets out and drives and enjoys and some that he throws in a trailer and takes to a car show. Okay, I can I can see that that I mean to build it for show purpose, uh, I can understand that. It's just one of the big kind of questions that are out there for me is you know how many people are really gonna get into this whole electric world and be one hundred percent satisfied with it. I mean, obviously our general daily drive type situation that's fine. My neighbor has a Tesla. Model S, and you know they're perfectly happy with it. They drive forty to fifty miles one way to work and back, and it works for them. But in the more high performance world and and really long distance higher performance world, things like that, I really wonder how well it can can take hold. But that's just wait and see, I guess. And you know another thing, say say you are doing a power tour or you're doing a, a long tour like that, you know, battery technology gets better every day. So, I mean, in the trunk you have, you know, an extra set of batteries that you, you know, you got a quick disconnect and you just, bloop, you just switch them over. And, you know, that's what they do on formula E I'm pretty sure is, um, when they go in for a pit stop, they change the tires and they change the batteries. So, you know, that's another way of traveling longer distances is, you know, you create 
kind of a battery tray cartridge type thing and either, you know, switch them out or uh, hook them up to, you know, a different set. I, I don't know. I'm just talking out loud or speaking out, thinking out loud here. Um, so that might be a way to build that road tour type car and it be electric. Now, to me, that's what would be really freaking awesome is you take, you know, a factory paint patina type car and say it's a station wagon, you know, or, or a, some four-door sedan that you could really hit the road and have fun with and take it and convert it to, you know, electric power and and do these road tours and long hauls and stuff like that. That would be, to me, that'd be pretty awesome. So we we touched a little bit on, uh, you know, Kurt's column here and his discussion. We didn't cover everything on there. And we've actually created some pretty good debate on this. But why don't we close out the show with maybe discussing some things we personally expect to see maybe in 2018 or a thing we might hope would happen in 2018 or whether maybe it's just our personal goals for 2018 on how we want to help or expand our involvement in the collector car hobby. Obviously, 2017, we chose to do this podcast to help spread our knowledge and maybe get two or three people more interested or educate three or four more people on a little bit of the hobby. And I think some of these articles that we've torn up in the last couple of weeks and a few episodes have proved, you know, to me have, have justified some of the stuff we're saying isn't just three crazy guys that get together on Wednesday evenings and record and have no sense. So I, I hope we're adding to the, to this hobby. I hope in 2018, we can expand our listenership I uh, hope we'll be able to get the podcast a little bit out on the road. You know, that's personal goals there with, with the podcast and getting us three out to you and helping expand the hobby. You know, we're still working on plans with the power tour because uh, that's really convenient for all three of us to do with a, a lot of people involved. And I think it would give a different dynamic to how all three of us have ever participated in the power tour. Me as a spectator, Will as a, I don't know if you, you've ever had an entrant or been an entrant uh, in the power tour for just even a leg, Will. And Derek, have you ever ever been to the power I've, tour? I've been on the power tour multiple times. Um, matter of fact, um, used to, it was always coming through the Midwest when we finished up school for the year when we were in Kansas together. So I would always either pick my dad up at the airport or something like that. And, um, we would hook up with the power tour, whether it was in Kansas city or St. Louis or something like that. And it always came back, you know, I think one year it went to Nashville and then one year it went on down to Panama city beach, Florida. So, um, and then done it several times after that, you know, after, you know, it used to go coast to coast and now it's more, um, in the, you know, a certain region, you know, so, but yeah, I've, I've actually participated in it a couple of years ago with the dart as well. So Derek, you ever been involved with it at all? I've, I've read about it. And, uh, last year I saw it 
basically come to an end in Bowling Green. Gotcha. That's about it. That's, that's about all I, all, all my experience with the hot rod power tour. I'm not, I'm not much of the hot rod power tour guy. So, so you, you don't have a peerless with some, some modifications that'll fit into that, you know, you know, show up there and you have like 18 horsepower painted on the fenders and <laughs> I'm, I'm working on, on fitting one of those, uh, GE electric motors into it in time for the power tour there you go now see there there's an advantage to the electric cars for you Derek. you could have this peerless it rattles and it clanks and it crank starts and all of that then all of a sudden it starts going and you slip the transmission into neutral and you have this super high performance electric drivetrain nobody can hear it'd be like having a, a fuel pump where you, you know, electric fuel pump that you can't hear click on for AACA judging or something. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So though. you want me to build a hybrid? Yeah. I want you, I want you to build a cheater hybrid peerless. <laughs> I think that sounds like it'd take all the fun out of the car. No, it would add more, fun to the car that was just some of we're getting into our rambling again that was just some of my goals for the podcast in 2018 i'm gonna try to get this train back on a rail here at least one rail okay can, can i see, can i get it back on a rail because there's one thing there's one thing that you didn't touch on out of kurt's article that I would like to talk about because two of us work in museums and that is the part about the closing of museums and the selling of collections. Uh, I can read through the paragraph really quick on that one. What, what's your opinion on it or what's your statements? Obviously you have. I mean, I, you know, I read through the article, I read through that paragraph and I'm not sure if it's just because I'm, kind of, you know, John and I, you know, we're on the inside edge of, of things in the museum world, but, you know, he talks about more auto museums closing down, more private collections going up for sale. And I'm, I'm interested to see where he's hearing this from, um, at least on the museum side of things, because I know of one automotive museum that just opened up on the East coast and, two more museums that are slated to open in 2018 in in the US here really on the the eastern half of the US I you know I'm sure there's a few others that I don't know about yet but there are a number of car museums that I know of that are in the works and you know basically going to be or hoping to be open in 2018 and so I don't know that we're going to see the closing of museums now on the other side of that, I will say that I do worry when I see more of these museums opening, how well auto museums are going to survive if more and more just keep opening up and essentially, you know, flooding out areas with auto museums. But I think the other key thing to look at with museums in general and the museum world in general is we're starting to see for-profit museums open and john i think you were just in washington dc for a trip and you know there's the news 
museum out there, which is the news museum and the spy museum. I've been there. Both of those are for profit. Yeah. Both of those are for profit museums. They are not a not for profit institution. And I think we might see a move in the museum world where there are museums, more and more museums that are no longer not for profit and move to a for profit business model like the news museum and the uh, spy museum. As for the flip side of his, you know, comments on on private collections going up for sale, I think we're going to see a lot of the antique car private collections go up for sale. And I think we touched on this on on an episode uh, in 2017, which is we're going to see the collectors and and those who really appreciate the early cars starting to die off. Their families and kids are not going to want those cars and they're going to go to auction. So I do see that one probably coming true in 2018. But I think the museum one is is a little off base that we're going to see more museums close. I don't know, John, maybe you have thoughts in in what you see in the auto and motorcycle transportation museum world. It's something I, I've discussed for years, and I believe... I believe there's some truth to his article, and you can expect to see more museums close. You definitely can see more collections head to auction. Uh, but uh, as you also alluded to, there's a lot more opening. You know, museums are going to close, but they're also they're going to be replaced. I mean, I drive down the interstate and I see museums that are close. You know, this car museum or this this museum's closed, and something new pops up. Things go on like that. It just it's a it's an ever changing a demographic, and and this is really one you can look at from two sides of two sides of the coin, and it's it just happens. One closes, one opens. It's just always transitioning. The the benefactors of the museum get tired of it. They go, you know, a lot of museums out there are no no offense tax dodges or private collections that a guy's trying to help recoup a couple of his dollars out of it. It's like if I'm doing woodworking and I sell a wooden bowl, I turned, oh boy, I get 50 bucks. I can go buy a new tool. And that's kind of what I think a lot of these museums are put up as. And I know the IRS is getting a little bit more strict on what can be a 501c3 entity, which is that nonprofit status of a lot of museums. I think you and I are very fortunate, Derek, to have very well-funded museums with, uh, decent endowments and i know you've worked in a uh, you know a few different locations uh, some even better funded than what we're bo- we're both at now and in my museum conservation career getting out of the automotive museums i worked with a lot of museums and it's amazing they they were able to even pay our team to come for a week to handle certain exhibitions and exhibits and just preservation projects or building of displays, but it had to be done because it, you know, it was some, somebody's passion. I think, and I try not to get too political on, on the podcast, but depending on what does happen with the new, these new tax laws and private donations and things like that, I think that will come into play. It's not part of this article, I think, and I don't think that's where Kurt was going with his statement, but I think some of the new 
um, laws in relation to capital gains taxes and that are really going to have an effect on museums and don't you know donations. We'll see. Have to see. Nobody, <clears throat> unlike a lot of government bills, the, this tax law was passed without being read through. But I think every museum, in, no matter how well funded is, has to look at the advantage and disadvantages of those laws and th- things that come into play. And that also goes for the selling of collections. Collections always always get sold. The, the family dies off. The the or the, the benefactor dies off. The the patriarch who enjoys the collecting starts selling them to make sure the family recoups the money or just loses interest. So I think I'm with you, Derek, but I think I look at it a little bit different. I expect a lot of museums to close in the next year, but I expect a lot more to open. And it's all, you know, it's always changing. And not every museum that has their principal pass away closes, closes the, you know, the Peterson still exists. Um, John Parnum of the National Motorcycle Museum in Iowa passed away this year, and everybody kind of expected that museum to close immediately upon his death, but it didn't, and it's still going strong. I was talking to their executive director a few weeks ago, and there's no plans on, on that one shutting down, but I happen to know of another one that probably will be shutting down because of uh, the benefactor. Uh, you know, it's playing into the motorcycle world there. I won't name it because there's no certainty on it. And I also know of another, you know, even if that one closes, I know of another motorcycle museum in the Quad Cities, uh, Davenport, Iowa, or excuse me, Davenport, Bettendorf, Moline, Rock Island, Illinois, Iowa area there. There's a new one out by the Quad City Airport as far as a motorcycle museum. So one closes, one opens, and there's similar number of bikes, different focus. So, yes, museums will close, museums will open. Uh, the for-profit museum, I think, will be something we start to see. And as you alluded, I was in D.C. Um, over Christmas and visited a museum. And it was, and to say, I won't say where I went, because by far and away, it was not an automotive museum. It was the worst museum I have ever walked into in my life, because everything I was exposed to at that museum, I could have been exposed to on the Internet. Maybe it's the fact they allowed all this floor space for future exhibits and maybe future donations. Uh, did not make sense to me. The building was architecturally great, but it involved, it was basically reading a book through the entire thing with no artifacts, no physical things to look at, and was not presented in a way that it wasn't a topic that I personally have a lot of interest in or really care about. But I've never walked into a museum not walking out wanting to learn more. This museum, I had to want to learn about the subject matter when I walked in. If I didn't, it didn't make me want to crave to learn while while I was there. And it definitely didn't make me want to do a Google search when I got home. So I don't know if I'm necessarily in this, you know, this is only a four or five year old museum. I don't know if I'm agreeing with or disagreeing with the museum experts on how Museums should be created around information plaques and limited exhibits. I've, you know, some, there is a for-profit museum I know of. You didn't allude to elsewhere in the country, and I know every exhibit in that, or I've been told, every exhibit in that museum was brought in in a Toyota Camry, and it doesn't seem that way in a way way it's presented. But 
if I can get the information on the internet, I don't want to go to the museum. I want to go to a museum to see things. I want to say touch. Everybody wants to touch when they come into a museum, but to see things and be exposed to things that Google can't provide, a Google image can't provide. I want to scale. I want to see the work. You know, I'm a, I'm a mechanical, physical person. I, I need to see that artifact. And I, I hope what I was exposed to in D.C. over the holiday is not the way museums are going. If it is, museums are dead and they're going to close. If it isn't and it was an anomaly and we can get everybody back on track, as I s- stated and as you stated, I think museums will uh, survive in the Internet age because there's something to be said about physically being there. Even if you did a, a Google Earth walkthrough of a museum, there's still something to be you know, be seen or heard there. You know, your museum with the the exhibits and even the uh, natural wonder occurrence that happened at your museum, it's very well presented. And you can read about it on the internet, but until you're there, you need you you don't realize the scope of the work of your main exhibits and then some of your secondary stuff. And I think it's the same with where I'm at with the focus of our museum and then the additional things that have been brought in by our benefactor to add to the experience for people that aren't into our core exhibits. Uh, I think you can take somebody there that has no interest in the transportation world, but they're astounded by the architecture, the decor, and the art that's been brought in to be mixed with it. So there's my long-winded overthought political answer to your to, to that question. It's probably why I skipped over it. No comment. Will, you've been awfully quiet about <laughs> museums. I'm just going to be honest about museums here. Um, I know, you know, that's what pays y'all's bills. Um, I, I enjoy going to museums. You know, meet, Easy. Meeting. No, here, here's my thing about museums. Careful. If, if, careful. If, if I go to a museum, I'm not much of a guy that wants to sit there and read. All right. I don't want to stand there and read about this or read about that. If if going through the Corvette Museum with you, Derek, was freaking awesome. That's one of the coolest things I've done in 2017. And I'm not just saying that because you're here or whatever. I actually got a personal tour of the curator with the of the Corvette Museum. So I got knowledge that A is not on the cards in front of the car. And that was very enjoyable. Now if I would have just walked through there without you, I'd have been like, okay, whatever. You know? Um and it would it would be that way when I go to Barber, I'm gonna get a personal tour with John and he's gonna be able to tell me about the things that interest me more than what is on that card, you know, where it came from, what it was doing before it was there, blah, 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 blah. blah. I like museums that way when I can walk around with somebody that knows all about it and tells me about it. That interests me. Uh, Just standing there reading about it. So I kind of see where he's coming from about museums closing. Um, and you know, I'll tell you, we went to Alcatraz back a couple of years ago and they have these headphones, you know, 
and you follow the guy talking to you on your headphones and you get to this certain cell and it tells you all about it and you go over here and it tells you all about it. To me, that was freaking awesome. I loved it. If if Alcatraz would have been me walking around, looking at stuff and reading everything, it probably wouldn't have been near the experience than, than what I had. Um, so, you know, coming from me, museums that are just kind of there, they've just got cards out in front of the, the field. There's really nothing much going on. Yeah, to me, they're, they're not that exciting. So, um, you know, that, that's one reason I, I don't visit a lot of museums. Um, so, I mean, I kind of see where he's coming from, but in, in one sense, there, there's a whole other different breed of people that love that type of stuff. They could stand there all day and read about anything. Uh, that's just not me. So there's my take on it. Kind of wordy for somebody who had no opinion on that. Well, you know, I, I, I wasn't going to get into it, but it, it, it just came out, you know. Well, I kind of capped off real quickly what I saw for 2018 there before we talked about museums for the podcast. You know, personally, I, like I said, just want to get more involved with more car events, get out there to the public try to bring a few more car events locally. Like I say, I'm trying to work on a couple of ones for myself and just expand the hobby and maybe travel and go see some things. I'd really like to get up to Washington state and see the America's automotive museum. I um, really like to get back to the AACA museum and, you know, Carlisle Hershey area again this year and just wherever I, I can, can get to. So it's just getting out there and, Hopefully new things and new changes in my life get some of that traveling under my belt and learning and exposing myself to more of the uh, car hobby. So there, there's the quick, dirty 2018 synopsis for me. Can you guys give your uh, 2018 goals in just a couple of minutes each so that we don't go an hour and a half tonight? Yeah, my, mine's pretty simple. Um, you know, Big Oak Garage didn't have a fresh uh you know high dollar build out last year we had a couple of full builds but nothing that we really showed that much so you know my goal is to uh hit the road hard this year uh we should have a couple of you know really cool um full builds out here at the shop and um show them enjoy them you know expand the podcast try to um help john and derek you know bring it in front of more people and um spend more time with my family that's that's one thing that i struggle with as a person i I work too damn much and uh so maybe slow down a little bit (laughs) if that's possible d rock your turn I've I've seen you you work, Will. I don't think it's. I, I mean, if you slow down anymore, I don't know what right. you're going to get done. Let, let me rephrase that. I'm at I'm <laughs> at work too much. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm going to remember that next time you harass me on my work. No, effect. no. For me, it's. <laughs> 
For me, mine is we've got a lot going on at the Corvette Museum this year. We've got probably three three exhibits that we're going to be really renovating some gallery spaces and and doing some new exhibits. So a lot of work there. On the the you know personal car front, I, I want to get more of my cars on the road. Uh, finish the restorations, get them get them up and running and driving them. Uh, get out there and have some fun on tours and different things and and hopefully not to you know break any of our listeners hearts there's there's a whole lot of our listeners that listen but you know big goal is is i'm actually going to get married this year to my fiance so you know that's that's probably the the biggest goal that needs to be met in 2018 you you guys can all laugh at that that was a joke about breaking listeners hearts oh I, I thought it was i thought it was funny when you said we have listeners listening well yeah i mean what <laughs> what, what else are they gonna do they're not calling in you know <laughs> they could be they could just be using it as background noise they don't have to be listening they could just have it on as background noise oh man that's that's some terrible background noise. All they got to do is download and play it through. I, I don't care if they listen. That, that, that's a lie. But actually, most of our downloads do show that people listen. But with that. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I mean, I, I guess the, the 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 good thing is, you know, I, I'm getting married, but John's single. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I come on the market and you uh, go off the market. So. And Will, Will's, as long as I've known Will, he's really not been available, so. Heck no. I'm happily taken. <laughs> the only thing I'm looking for is a fabricator. <laughs> we fabricate lies every Wednesday night. Yeah, I need somebody to fabricate sheet metal. Mm-hmm. So. See, Will's using the podcast for Help Wanted ads again. If you know anybody who wants a fabricator, he did hire that shop manager. I don't know if the gentleman found out about the job through the podcast or not. Now now we're looking for a big oak garage fabricator. That's right. Experienced. And Will just bought that new uh, power hammer, so I guess you've got some pretty good tools. So. Man, yeah, we got a bunch of tools. Whatever you need to make something out of sheet metal, we got it. Well, we're all set there. And uh, I'm sorry, you said fabricate sheet metal, right? That's right. Car parts. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. Because I'm good at fabricating uh, anyway. All right, come on. Move on down. Well, with that help wanted ad and the self de- self-deprecating humor, Etc. I'm going to go ahead and stop recording tonight. We'll let these guys continue with whatever's going. And we'll talk to you all next week. Thank you. See ya. See ya. <laughs>